I'm Tanner Olson, and this is the Walk a Little Slower podcast. Here, we talk about hope and heaviness, joy and sorrow, life and God, questions and answers, and everything in between. This is a podcast where you are invited to slow down, to lean in, to hold fast, and to eventually, to eventually keep going. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of the Walk a Little Slower podcast. If you haven't yet subscribed or rated and reviewed the podcast, make sure to do so. It only takes a minute and it means a lot. Well, I'm thrilled to share this particular episode with you. On this week's podcast, I'm joined by Sean Dietrich. Sean Dietrich, also nicknamed Sean of the South, he's an American writer of books and newspaper columns. He focuses on the South and its people. Sean is also a musician, a speaker, a podcaster, and a blogger. And Sean is also my friend. I'm thrilled to introduce you to him this week. And I'll tell you right now, we had a little difficulty recording, but with a little editing, we were able to make it work. So if you're wondering, hey, that sounds a little bit off. Well, that's just because we had some problems. But it's a great episode, a great conversation. Sean drops some wonderful wisdom. And I gotta be honest, I loved it. So anyways, here is my conversation with Sean Dietrich. I, man, I am a planner, uh, maybe to my detriment, which is kind of how it goes sometimes. <laughs> well, that's, uh, good. No, that's good. I wish I, I, sometimes I wish I were, I'm a seat of the pantser. Everything, even with yeah, writing. Oh, oh, everything. Yeah. Just about. See, I, I plan, I tend to plan everything out. Like I have like a, my calendar and most of my days are like, I'm doing this, 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 and this, and this today. And I want to write about this, but you yeah. are just like, eh, no, this it, is kind of, it's the muse. It's uh, for me. It's uh, it's all. If I have a plan, I'll deviate uh-huh. from the plan, and then then I have no idea where I am. But if I don't have a plan, then everything is ordained. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all supposed to be. Uh, but if I have a plan, I will deviate from it anyway. So all I do is waste however many hours it takes to plan. That's with everything for me. So when it comes to like writing, are you like? inspiration hits and you go or? no i mean can't you know because i do it i do it every day i write and i write in kind of the newspaper column style and you don't get the luxury of waiting for inspiration it's just kind of a mm-hmm. it's a daily exercise like you know i guess uh mm-hmm. all writers know uh but it's a day, it's a daily exercise and uh and sometimes you feel particularly inspired but other times you have to just hammer through and find find the thread of what you're, you know, or what I'm looking for, uh, inspirational wise or whatever. Yeah. So oftentimes I get asked and I, and I know that you get asked this question a lot too, is, is where do you find your inspiration? Um, how do, how do you answer that question? Cause when people ask me that I'm like, I, I am always looking for it. I'm not, not necessarily sure. Like I find just looking at all, all the time. For me, inspiration, uh, is not something I even look for or ideas that I write about aren't things that I look for. They, they, they just kind of happen. Uh, they, they happen to me and the things that stick out the most, the most memorable things for me 
it's almost like this is what you need to write about. It's not, it's almost like it's kind of, uh, you know, without getting hooky spooky, you know, it's almost like it's, it's, it's given to you. It's like this, this is it. This is, there's no question. That this is what mm-hmm. today is about. Uh, and, and other times it's a little more obscure and other times, uh, during those obscure times, it seems it's even more surprising because once you turn on the faucet and start to write, all of a sudden it, it comes. Uh, the news in the newspaper business they call it the Daily Miracle, and it's that it's named that for a reason. It's just such a it's like it happens, you know, every yeah. day. It's, it's like, a, what am I going to write about? What am I going to write about? What am I going to write about? Oh, that's yep. what I'm going to write about. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Okay, let's start from the beginning because people are probably listening and they're like, "Who? okay, so who is this guy? So when you're at a party, I don't know if you party, I don't really party, but how, and someone asks, what do you do? What do you, how do you respond? What do you tell them? I say about what? <laughs> <laughs> because that, that question has always been a, a, a particularly gross question to me uh, mm-hmm. because I've always found myself doing things that I'm not necessarily, you know, that don't necessarily rank in terms of braggadocious uh, brownie points. So I've always felt really insecure when people ask, you know, what do you do? And I always feel ridiculous because, you know, well, I, you know, I remember going to one cocktail party uh, in a really, really nice house and people asked, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I laid the tile in this house actually. (laughs) (laughs) And they, they looked around and they were like, uh, could you get us a refill on our drink? (laughs) (laughs) It's a, so I, it's interesting to me. I found that men ask, what do you do Mm -hmm. to each other? And women often ask, so where are you from? So Mm -hmm. in these, these two fundamental questions, I think are, are just so, so incredibly different at their heart and soul. What do you do? We men are a lot of times men and I'm, I'm including this. I, I, Find myself asking people this question like what do you what do you do and that's so that i can define you by your job your occupation women where are you from they want to know who your people are they want to know who your folks are and i think that is just wonderful to uh yeah so anyway what do i do i am a i'm a writer and i am a <laughs> a I don't really know. I, I speak, you know, I do that for, for a living too. I play music. I've played music for a long time, uh, you know, and I, I wouldn't consider myself good at any of these particular top or subjects, but I, but I enjoy all three, all five or however many I do. So, yeah, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. Uh, what you said about men and women, cause those are like, you know, those are like the two go-to questions. And then after that, then you get to the weather, you know? So it's yes. like, you know, what do you do? Where are you from? And then it's like, all right, we've ran out of things. How's the weather? But uh, you and I have something in common. We're both from the South, and and a lot for, for a lot of your life, you've called Florida home. I'm from yes. Central Florida. I grew up in a town called Oviedo, which is just right outside of Orlando. And you're you're from the Panhandle, correct? Yep. Or that's where yep. you've called home for a long time? Yeah, the Panhandle is. I've been there since I was a child, so that's home. Uh, uh, and that's it's kind of once it works, it's when your blood and your you uh, you obviously know it's really hard to uh, get that salt water out of your system yeah it, it's funny too when you tell when i tell people that i'm from florida uh, 
they that's that's when they, they want to put you into another category as well and, yeah. and saying that you're from florida is a wonderful excuse i've used this so many times like if i'm in a conversation with somebody and i and i'm and i'm coming off kind of like not intelligent which happens more often than than you might think or if i don't know the answer to something i'll just eventually say ah well i'm from florida and they seem to be like oh well that makes sense like there's yeah of course yeah you're from florida <laughs> florida is a weird state because it's it's all it's all the states it's uh, mm-hmm. i always say the further north you get the further south you're going mm-hmm. and you know the further uh the further south you go you're getting into cuba you know so it's it's it, uh, yeah you're right you're totally right that's a great i'm gonna have to steal that use that in a conversation well i'm from florida i'm from florida and, and it's gonna work it's gonna work perfectly people will be like well that makes oh you make a lot of sense now like oh there there he is yeah it was it was a uh for me it was a wonderful place to grow up because i felt like i was living in all kinds of yeah. worlds and it was always sunny too uh which was exactly what i needed um so I was I was introduced to your work while I was on a on a podcast uh, titled "This Undivided Life" with Troy McLaughlin, and he was like, "Hey, have you ever heard of uh, of Sean Dietrich?" And I was like, "No, I hadn't." But so while I'm on the podcast with him, I just start typing on my computer and trying to look as like focused and as stoic as possible. And Troy, if you're if you're listening, I promise I was listening to you, but I was also very curious about who Sean was, and. I saw that you had written a memoir titled, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? A memoir of learning to believe you're going to be okay. And while I'm on the podcast, I'm on Amazon and I click order by, you know, like the buy with one click. And I did that without even thinking twice because I'm in the process of of writing a, a memoir myself and I needed some encouragement and I figured that I would find it in your book. Spoiler alert, I found it in your book. Um, it's I mean, Sean, it's, it's a it's a beautiful and heartbreaking and hopeful story, and, and it's your story. So what was, and this is a very big question. I have yeah. like 400 questions about the book, but I'm only going to ask one and we'll see where it goes. Okay. But what, for you, what was it like writing that book? Uh, it was actually a lot of fun. It was a lot of, the whole process was just a blast. Uh, and it's, you know, it's not a particularly savory uh, subject matter so that sounds a little bit maybe even a little bit uh, irreverent but i had been writing my blog and, and it had turned into a newspaper column so it wasn't coming to newspapers and i was doing this every day and it was a a, uh, a spiritual practice is what it really turned into uh, writing every day was a purging especially when it came to the topic of my father and all of that that i covered in the book so that by the time I got to the book, it was like playing your scales uh, on a guitar or on the piano for for a lot of years. And all of a sudden it's time to play, you know, to play. And you realize, oh my gosh, my, my fingers there, I'm not thinking about it, they're just moving. They're doing what I need. And that's how it was uh, writing the book. I had, I had, through the grace of God, I worked through a lot of the, the infection that was inside me writing the news the columns and the blogs so that the pus was vanquished and so now i can look at my own life from maybe a third person angle which is really fascinating and it's really it depersonalizes everything you went through and it gives you another perspective on who you are and what you have gone through and so i enjoyed it i enjoyed it the whole way through i told my editor when we started it i said I want to write 
this book about my life, it's not a great topic, but I want it to be funny. I want it to be to be entertaining. I want it to be honest and I want it to be who I am, you know, as a person. Uh, and she said, well, good luck, because that's really hard to do. And you know, <laughs> it, it, I guess it is. But uh, but that book wrote itself for me and it was a lot of fun. And I and I, I look back on the uh, process of writing it with a lot of fondness. It's a it's a very therapeutic process, and that's one of the first things. Like, uh, I don't want to brag, but I've been to counseling twice. I've had two different appointments. The first time it cost a hundred dollars. The second time it was a lot more than that. I'm thinking about going back for a third time. But every time I've gone, what they tell you is to you know write things down. It's just to, to write you know about your story or your like journal some thoughts and stuff. And it's such a a, a therapeutic process. And, and one of the things I loved about the book, because it, it was all the things that you mentioned, it was funny, uh, it was insightful, and it, and, it, and it was you. I felt like I, uh, I felt like I knew you after I read the book. And I'm sure a lot of people come up to you and say something similar where it's like, Sean, sure. I, fe- I feel like I know you. And you're like, <laughs> and, and, what's, and what's your name? <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, they, 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 do, they do know me. And that's one of the, the marvelous things about what I, what, what I've been fortunate enough to do through the writing is uh, I've laid it all out there and there's really not anything left to, so, you know, when people say, we know, we know you, they, they probably know more about me than I do. Yeah. So they really, do. but, but what you just said is, is, uh, it is so true. It is therapeutic. Uh, I've been in therapy for golly, I don't know how many years. Uh, I have a good friend who's a therapist and, I've worked through so many things and need need to work through more and 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 it's been so good for me and actually that's he was this therapist friend of mine he's a one of the major catalysts you know to move me into writing mm-hmm. was to was to encourage me to get it down you know write it down yeah there's just there's there's something about it like I know for myself after I write, and it can it can be about really anything. It doesn't even have to be about myself. It can just be about you know questions that the world is wrestling with, or just like a little poem. But I feel I feel more I feel lighter. Like yeah. the sun shines yeah. a little bit brighter. It's it's one you know, of those things where it's like people will talk about you know you got to get outside every day. You got to eat vegetables or you know do all those yeah. things. But also for me, it's like I I also think we should spend some time like just just writing, just putting some yeah. words down yeah. on the paper. It changes. Journal. It changes everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. Uh, my day is not complete. You know, it's become such a uh, such a staple of my day and every experience I have uh, that I'm not. I haven't truly processed what I'm going through, good or bad, until I've written about it. Period. I, if if my wife and I took a vacation to Hawaii, now at this wherever I am now in this mind space, I would have to write about Hawaii before I could really enjoy it. I would have to, so we go and do something, maybe I've never been to Hawaii, but if we ever go to Hawaii and do, do this or do that, I'd have to go back to the hotel. And the next morning I would have to talk about it in my, you know, writing voice uh, yeah. to really, to really feel it and see it and experience it. I, I'm not sure why that is about me now, but that's how. No, um, I think that's, I, I, I resonate with that a lot too. There's a, a quote and I think it's by Flannery O'Connor. Maybe it's not, I think it could be, but I think she says like, I don't know what I, th- feel or think until I write about it. Oh, that's good. Right. That's good. And I, and I, and like, as soon as I read that, I was like, Oh, that's me. Like I have to, I kind of have to write yeah. through 
what I'm going through to kind of understand what it is I'm going through. Like it takes me yeah. a long time. Like if somebody asks, you know, how do you feel or, or how are you doing? I don't know. I don't know. Like, give me like, give me like 20 minutes. Let me write about it. And then I'll come back to you with a really good answer. But in the moment yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, it's a gamble. I'm not really yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's true. That is so true. yeah. Uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about uh, the memoir and in a, a lot of your writing, um, first of all, I feel like we have a lot of similarities in our writing because a lot of the things that you write, it always comes back to the idea and the belief that that everything is going to be all right, that everything is, is going to be OK. And that's like a, a huge theme throughout the memoir. And then also like in your in your daily writings as well um, and all the people that you get to meet and all the places that you get to go, like everything is going to be all, all right. When you when you write about that, are you are you mostly writing to yourself, too? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh uh, definitely because, uh, you know, so much of my life I've gone through where I did not believe it was going to be okay. Nothing mm -hmm. was going to be okay. Uh, it's actually, it's going to be worse than anything you've ever imagined. That's, that's the kind of belief. And, uh, and yet 90% of the things I worry about never happen. Uh, and even the ones that do happen, you know, uh, you come through it and it, it changes you in a better way. I, this is so, these things sound so cliche and so trite what I'm saying, but it's, it's the human experience. That's why it's mm -hmm. cliche. Uh, so you go through these horrible times and we've just gone through a few really particularly horrible times within the last year, I'd say. Uh, and, uh, there was even a point last year, you know, I thought I'm, I'm not, the doctors were telling me something really bad and I, I was, you know, I thought for sure I wasn't going to be here this year. Actually, I mm -hmm. thought I'd and and, uh, and it's okay. I, I've come through it, and now the doctors can't find nothing, and everything's okay. Everything's great. Uh, not that's not everybody's experience. I understand, but but there is there is this there is this this piece of human nature that just immediately goes to the worst. And yeah. I don't I don't believe that it's uh, I don't believe that's a fact. I don't believe even the worst. I don't even believe the worst is the worst. If that makes sense. Oh, it, it does. Sometimes I, I think about it like, because you know, like you said, we're all we all go through different things, different the human experience, uh, and it doesn't always work out the way it works out for others as it does for ourselves. But sometimes I just like sit back and I think, well, maybe God has just given me something new to write write about. Yeah. Um, and and maybe that's a maybe that's correct, or maybe that's just you know me trying to cheer myself up about it and, and, and get back to work. But I, I, you know, I think, you know, as, as, as people who are writers, as we approach each day, like ready to write about stuff, like that's just, for me, it's an easy way to kind of look at it. Like, well, maybe God's just given me something new to write about. Yeah. And, or, and if that's true. For me, maybe for me, uh, it's definitely given me some sort of, when you go through anything cruddy, uh, I feel like it gives you a little bit of a superpower all of a sudden. You have this extraordinarily heightened sense of empathy that doesn't go away if you don't want it to go away. If you mm -hmm. want, if if you want to get jaded again and go, you know, forget about what you've been through, you can. But if you want to hold on to that and you let it make you a raw nerve, so that you can understand people and approach people in a much more sensitive way, you can hold on to that. And I, I'm. Bad moments. Uh, I'm trying to 
to let them really, you know, tenderize me, make me more empathetic. I, has have you seen that like in yourself, like uh, because of writing and even the things that you've gone through, but more so like um, the combination of the two of the things that you've gone through and then writing about the things that you've gone through. Have you seen that it's made you like a, a more vulnerable, empathetic human being? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've and I've written about a lot of a lot of people who've gone through some really bad things. I've written about a bunch of children with cancer, some living, some dead, a lot of people who've gone through really traumatic experiences. I've gone, I've written about a, a lot of people. So I've gotten to meet a lot of people and the unifying theme that always comes through through these, you know, when we talk to them is that, uh, a, it's all going to be okay. And B we're all in this together. So let's help each other. Uh, and this is, you know, this is powerful. This is powerful for me uh, because you go through bad stuff at any point in your life. The tendency is to feel completely alone and isolated. Mm -hmm. You, it's just, uh, I think it's a human, I think it's a human instinct, uh, to kind of go off into the corner and lick your sore paw and say, you know, I'm, I'm alone here. No one else can understand what I'm feeling. When you put yourself out into like some sort of public forum with your, your writing, other people who say, well, I've been to that and I've been to that and I've been to that. And then when they come in mass numbers and they're describing what you've been through and you're describing what they've been through and everybody's just intermingling their experiences and it, to where it all sounds like one, you know, very similar experience, you start to think there's a reason for all this, you know, this suffering brings us closer to something really powerful. This, this suffering brings us close to, I don't know, something good yeah and and it's it's such a fun being a writer is not like an easy thing like i don't want people to like listen to this and be like well, i should just be like it's a lot to like look inside and then try to find where a comma goes and then put it out into the world and be like here's here's what we have to offer like to wrestle with all of the bad and then to look for the light and the darkness and then try to offer that and then to do that again the next day and the next day yeah. and the next yeah. day but by doing that, like I, like you said, I think it it does help other people see one of the one of the best compliments I think that a writer can get, and I'm sure you've heard this before, is like you put into words what I'm feeling, or you put into words kind of what I was going through to kind of help with that, um, help with the processing, or help with taking a step from today to tomorrow or this minute to to the next minute. Um, yeah, I, it, yeah. I don't know. I'm just yeah. I agree. I mean, that is a that's a. I don't I don't get that much, but I mean, that is a big compliment. <laughs> I if if I were to get it, I I know that uh, I know that what writing has done for me, especially on that subject matter, is it has made me feel connected to this enormous enormous club. The first speaking event I did uh, for a kind of a bigger group was. Uh, it was, I was nervous. I was so nervous. You know, I'd never done any of that before. Just didn't know what I was doing. And at the end, uh, people came up to, to greet, you know, the meet and greet kind of thing, sign your book. And almost, I would say at least 70% of the line had gone through serious, serious trauma, serious trauma. Some of them just make, you know, make you scratch your head at how you still hear. And I would say the other 30% of the line were suicide survivors. So, 
I had gone through a big part of my life not meeting many suicide survivors at all. And in one night, I was meeting a lot of them. And so then the further I got into this writing journey, the more and more and more I was meeting and the more and more traumatic people who've gone through trauma of any kind, it, it all of a sudden changes your perspective. You think, oh my gosh, you know, not only, you know, if you're lucky enough to be able to put into words what other people are feeling, that's awesome. But the flip side of that is you are able to see with your own eyes what other you, people like you, are going through. Mm -hmm. Really powerful. Yeah, and and I think one of the things that you get to do and you you do it so well is is you continue to um, you continue to show up and you continue to be available to people and you continue like you you meet people pretty much with open hands like this is what I know this is what I've gone through and then I think in turn like that invites them to do the same thing with the people in their lives and so maybe you may not hear the compliment like you put into words how I'm feeling but what you do for them is you give them a well you give them hope and you give them this example of like yeah you can go through hard things and we can go through them together you know like yeah, like you were yeah. saying well um, I just I, wanna give, I want to give a lot of people validation that's yeah. I really want. I want them to feel, uh, you know, what I'm feeling is this is this is okay to feel this mm-hmm. and what I'm, what I'm going through. This is all okay. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I oh no, this no. A podcast is just two people talking over each other. Anyways, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about um, your writing journey, and because I, I know you didn't like set out to be a writer, you just kind of right. stumbled upon it. Um, yes. So kind of like, you know, walk me through, like, how did Sean of the South, which, by the way, is a fantastic name. Like, how did Sean of the South kind of start? When was this for you? And um, just walk me through the early years, because I think a lot of people listening are like, I want to be a writer, too. Or yeah. I'm just kind of interested in, like, I'm personally interested in the background of how people got started. So what was that like for you, Sean? Okay. Um, I would say, first of all, if anybody is listening and wanted to be a writer, then, then you, you already are. Because mm-hmm. if you want to be it, that means that desire is there. People who aren't writers don't have that desire. So that that uh, might free somebody up because it sure freed me up when uh, I was younger. I remember I met an older guy and he said, you want to know how you know if you're a writer? And I said, how? He said, are you writing? <laughs> I said, uh, well, yeah. He said, well, then you're a writer. He said, writers write. That's it. Sounds so easy, but it's so true because you'll meet a lot of people in those. Well, you know, I, you know, I always thought I could be a writer, but they're not writing. Mm-hmm. But you meet people and they'll say, well, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer and they're writing. Well, it's easy. You know, you're right. So, but uh, anyway, how it started for me was uh, I, I graduated from college as a grown man because I dropped out when I was a kid uh, in school. I dropped out in seventh grade. And so after I dropped out of school, after my dad uh, killed himself, I went to work. I started working, and work was—it's actually a really good experience to get into the workforce early. You get—you learn a lot more than you do at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily the same kinds of things, but you are every day learning big time because you have to, or else you won't last. You won't have a job. Mm-hmm. So, uh, at school, you can kind of slack off. So. So uh, I was learning every day and I was meeting all these people and doing all this stuff, but I wasn't, I wasn't being educated uh, in a school system. So I felt really, really inadequate in order to 
to placate that inadequate feeling that I had to satisfy it, uh, I would go to the library a lot, uh, every day sometimes, uh, but definitely a few times a week. And I would check out books and I'd read them and I'd bring them back and I'd check up and I read like a, like a fool. Not out of a good place, not because I'm some smart guy. I read because I felt so stupid that uh, I was trying to overcompensate for it. So, you know, some of it was good. Some of it was just some minor obsession in order to to compensate. So uh, anyway, but I'm really grateful that I did read like that because I picked up a lot of just common sense that inevitably helped me get into college without having my GED. So uh, that was a kind of a minor miracle, but I got into college. I went through community college. It took me 11 years. <laughs> and when I got through, uh, I had, you know, all college is, is reading and writing. That's all you do. You read and you write, and you write, 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 write. And you write for people who never read it, but it's great yep. practice. And you learn how to talk about things that nobody cares about and you don't care about and you learn how to preach 500 words about it yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so it, i love college and so when i was done uh you know i decided to write some stuff just for my own benefit i did and uh, eventually they started to get published in little places and then i decided i would i wanted to make go you know, pursue like you know journalism like in a newspaper setting uh, i was turned down repeatedly for things like that. So that didn't work. So then I thought, well, maybe I'll go back to school and get my get a degree that will allow me to teach writing. So I signed up at FSU, which is not my, the college of my first choice, but it was close enough and it was in state. I signed up for a, for a course, uh, for a, for like a program, you know, to yeah. become a writing teacher. And, uh, since I was in my thirties, I was a shoe in, you know, what are they going to do? Turn you down. So I went and I rented an apartment. Uh, I put down all, all the money I had on this little apartment. And my wife and I were just going to have to commute back and forth uh, mm. about an hour so that I could go to school. So the day that I'm interviewing for this writing program, I go in there and uh, it's all these people in big black turtlenecks with black horn rim glasses. And uh, I get in there. And they're looking over my stuff and they, they look at me and they say, we, we can't let you into this school. And I looked at them and I was, I felt, I felt naked. Yeah. Uh, and they said, uh, you, your, your, your educational life is a disaster. You, you have, we have no place for you here. Uh, this is, I'm frankly, we're, we're shocked that you even applied. And I'm, we're, and I said, well, I just, paid for an apartment. I mean, I've got the lease. I mean, I can't get out. I said, we're sorry. You can't. So I was not allowed into FSU. Wow. Uh, I went home and just died. Uh, oh, yeah. I will never be a writer. I will never be what anything. I was just this, this curse, this bad decision that I made a long time ago will stick with me forever. So it was that night that I started writing uh, the first Shaun of the South blog. And I wrote uh, a blog that was based, I can't remember exactly. It was based on what I'd just gone through. And uh, anyway, over time, this uh, 
this became the only winning horse I'd ever ridden. Uh, my, <laughs> it, from the moment my, I first started doing it, uh, people responded to me. People were interested. So one Christmas, uh, I had a bunch of these little blog collections that I had done. I decided I was going to print up 150 books and send them out to the people who had been reading my stuff as a thank you uh, for Christmas. And so I put it online. I said, look, I've got like 150 books. This is my thank you to you for even caring about anything I've ever done. You know, uh, that you give me a reason to write. You know, I go, I work all day and then I come home and I write this and it's fun. And you, you're the reason. So here, I got these books. I put it out there online. And within five minutes, they were all spoken for. Now they were all free. So yeah. that's, and then my wife's phone started dinging, going ding, 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 ding. And she looked at it and she's, she's saying, and this is about a decade ago. She's saying, something's going on with my eBay. And I said, your eBay, that's weird. And she went and somehow her PayPal was collect, connected to her eBay and someone had found her PayPal address and her eBay, whatever. And they had every single person who got in the book had paid way above and beyond for the book. So I had all this money all of a sudden in these books. So what do you do with that? I printed up more books. I spent it all to print up more books and I gave all those books away too. And we did that a bunch of times. And so I, I think that Christmas we ended up giving away like 500 books and it was, it was so much fun. It changed, it changed my life, but it changed my life. Uh, and ever since then I've, I've just never, we've never stopped. So that's awesome. I don't know what to say. I just think that's really cool. And, and I think it's, it's fascinating when you talk to people who kind of get into what they're doing. Um, the thing that, like, I always say, like, you know, people like I, I do a lot of stuff with churches and people will talk about like callings, like God called me to do this. And that's a whole thing we can talk about. But I feel like writing is something that God has invited me to do. And there's this like weird like, how do you get started doing that? Like, just because you've been like invited to it, or that's what you're created to do, like, you still gotta find your footing. But like, you know, you t you know, you you kind of you kind of keep falling forward, trusting this is the right thing. But I don't know. You go about it with like, I'm gonna make mistakes, but I'm gonna you know give stuff away, and I'm gonna try to be humble about it. But I think the big thing is like, and this is what I talk to like a lot of younger writers about is like you might have to work two jobs so you can do the one thing that you really want to do. Yeah. And, and my personal belief is that that will make you a better writer. The ones that I like the people I like to read and the people there are people who have actually been out in the world doing mm -hmm. real normal stuff. It's uh, it's the people who sit in the crystal palace of academia that to me, they're disconnected from reality. They're, saying things that their their textbooks and professors once said, you know, told them to say, or they're, they're, they're talking a little more higher minded. Whereas someone who has been out there and worked a normal job at a McDonald's or dug a ditch, uh, you, you have, you have, a, you're just, you're more grounded and you're more familiar with the real normal world than, than, then a lot of people will allow themselves to be in certain yeah. uh, jobs and situations. So you're, you have something really valuable to say. Yeah. Well, I think like the, uh, like not being a full-time writer will make you a, like a better writer, at least yes. at the, at the beginning. And I think that's, that's for sure. I mean, I, if I don't even now, so now I, now I don't know what I, I mean, <laughs> I, we do everything. So but if I'm the one thing remains true for me and always has, 
I'm not getting out into the real world, doing something normal and real, I will have nothing to write about. Mm -hmm. and, and, and being a writer is an extraordinarily isolating lifestyle. It can be. So you, it will, it's important to get out there and do stuff. So if you have a job and you, it's, it requires you to do other things, you've, you've already got an advantage that you don't know you have. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just just recently, and like I'm, I'm sitting in my office, and this is where I spend most of the time, um, especially during the pandemic. Like this is really where I was, and talk about like that was just like, you know, ten ten months of writer's block. Um, <laughs> but it was it was rough. But like, and I and I kind of fell into the uh, the rhythm of like, I wake up and then I come in here and I do all the things that I need to do for for work or whatever. And part of that is writing, uh, but then I had like nothing to write about, and so. Now I've been going to a coffee shop, like first thing in the morning, I go there, there's a lot of sunlight, I write, I talk to the people around me, I'm the annoying person who will say hello, right? But like I'm, I'm with and around people and I'm hearing people talk about things and I'm seeing people and like that helps me oh, yeah. like feel like I'm still part of the world and not just locked away in my office, in my, in my comfortable office. Yeah. Yeah, it will um, that thing. Isolation is the death of any good content for me. If you, if you're stuck, it's hard. It's hard. Pandemic. We kept. I kept the column going to the pandemic, and it was a. The whole world changed on me. Like where I was getting my my stuff was coming in through emails. People were emailing me stories and stuff. And it was a. That was a. I, I, everything changed for me during the pandemic, but after the pandemic kind of quelled, uh, it was like, okay, back to here. I am back around, I'm among the human race again, uh, yeah. right about normal things. When you're, uh, when you're talking to people, are they kind of like, like face to face? Are they ever a little like, uh, kind of suspicious? Like, Oh, am I going to, am I going to be tomorrow's column? Like, am I going to yes. be like, is he going to write about me tomorrow? You know? <laughs> A lot of people, uh, a lot of people get that way, and uh, sometimes you know they do, and <laughs> so I'm, I'm real quiet about it. Uh, and other times, it, you know, other times I'll, I'll look out, I'll go after a story, and a couple minutes into it, I realize, nope, this isn't the one that I'm going to tell. This is, uh, and then the, the real, like, okay, I'm gonna meet some lady who's gone through something really terrible out at a coffee shop. I go to the coffee shop and I go to meet her and she tells me and a few minutes into it, I realized, no, this isn't, this isn't the story for various reasons. To, and the story is the, <laughs> I lost coffee person wait, who has, wait, two, go back. Oh, man, wait, go back, go back. Okay. So, anyway, and the story is, yeah, the story is the coffee barista who has two cochlear implants, and she's dealing with us a, a rowdy, you know, customer, and she's so gracious and kind. And I'm watching this while this other lady's talking to me, and and I'm thinking, wow, there, look at this. I mean, wow, what a what a exceptional human she is. I mean, to take this abuse and to be so kind, and you know, that's so it's a, it's kind of amazing for me where it really come, where the story really happened. Now, one of the things that really frustrates me about you is you are able <laughs> to write <laughs> every single day. You, you know, you put out a column, you put out a, a blog post, something new every single day. It is, I mean, it is so frustrating to watch as a fellow writer. I'm like watching this and I'm like, man, 
this guy is so much better than me. Now I've worked through a lot of like insecurity to where I can say it as a joke and it not be a real thing. But like, I think it's, first of all, I think it's, it's, it's admirable. Um, and I, and I love that you, like you have the, uh, the ability to, to do that. Um, is that like, how, how long have you been doing? Like what, when was the last time you missed a day? Do you know that? Uh, I haven't missed a day. Well, Let's see. Well, there's two ways I can answer that. Like, I haven't missed a day publishing in 10 years. Okay. Uh, but writing uh, every, I write every day. So there are, the last time I wasn't able to write every day was probably a year ago. Uh, I went through with my mother-in-law was passing. Mm-hmm. And there were some days in there where I wasn't able to write, but I had already written something for the that following day. But no, most of, you know, I would say, 99% of the year I write every day. Uh, here's the cool thing about that. And, and, and it, and you might, and I'm flattered that you think it's admirable and all that. Uh, and, but really it's just a, a compulsion and that's not a good thing probably. But the second thing I would say is, uh, the beauty of writing every day is that you, I'll back up. Uh, I watched a, a documentary on base, baseball, Ken Burns baseball. That one of my favorite documentaries ever. And there's a reporter who is a young reporter, and he is interviewing Casey Stengel, this old, grizzled New York Mets baseball manager. And they're in the dugout, and it's during the national anthem. And all the baseball players exit the dugout, and they stand on the field, they put their hand over their heart, they sing the national anthem. Meanwhile, this young reporter is still talking to Casey Stengel through the through the national anthem and they're still he's still doing the interview and then the national anthem's over and the reporter goes oh my gosh I'm so sorry I talked with you all the way through the national anthem and Casey Stengel goes kid we do this every day and the idea hit me you know there is something liberating about doing it every day you you miss it, you miss it one day and it's not it, you, you know it's stale and what you wrote wasn't it wasn't really what you were hoping to write you got tomorrow and uh, oh well tomorrow wasn't so good that's all right you're going to do it again the next day you know you, it's it, and it's actually a lot more free yeah uh, and that sounds oxymoronic or almost counterintuitive but it's actually freeing the more you do it the less you less you're embarrassed by the result <laughs> yeah yeah like just like just because mondays was bad doesn't mean that tuesdays is gonna be right. bad like right. always... and as a matter of fact you 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 learn to embrace that you learn to embrace the ebb and the flow and and just because it doesn't score well in your mind at you know that day uh 10 years from now somebody sent me a column somebody sent me a post uh that I had written about eight years ago and I didn't know it was me. They were, they didn't say it was me. And I'm, I'm reading through it. I'm reading this experience and I'm going, Oh, this is really well written. I like this, which is something I have never, ever said about my own work. I have never felt that about my own work. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading this going, this is good. And by the end I realized, Oh my gosh, I wrote this. And I remember writing this and thinking, this sucks. <laughs> and I'm reading it. And I'm thinking, not bad, not bad. And I'm looking at myself eight years ago, going, not bad, Sean, not bad. And I gave my eight, you know, eight years, my junior, that imaginary self, a pat on the back. You, you did okay, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
anyway. Yeah, no, I the, I have written some things where, and I, I they just weren't good. Like <laughs> early early in my writing career, I started out writing like spoken word poetry, and all of it is like it's super angsty, and it is just like very like like there's emotional and then there was the stuff that I was writing and it just like wasn't like it wasn't good but every like I always I always say like if you're willing to be bad at something you might just become good at it and that was yeah. that's where I was like I was very willing to be bad at it and I was but I still released it put it out into the world and it's still floating around in some places and people will find it and they'll be like this is really good and then I <laughs> I I question all of their all of yeah, their right. choices but like but it is like even the the bad stuff like the stuff that maybe you don't connect with that you wrote or the stuff that you think is good, other people need to hear it. You just, that, you're that like, is, you know. I've been humbled so many times uh, where I will write something and go, this is the worst dribble that has ever come out of my mouth. And, and then it will be like that night before I go to bed, I'll get an email and it'll be somebody who will say something to the tune of, I was in the bathroom and I was gonna kill myself. And, and I got your thing and uh, and I didn't do it. And I'm, and of course then I'm weeping and crying and I'm thinking, you know, and this is another cliche. That's another trite little phrase I'm gonna say, but, but you're not, you're supposed to get out of the way when you write anyway. Mm -hmm. And if you do that the way that it's supposed to be done, then it's really not even all the time you who's doing the talking, if you get my drift. And, Every now and then, God will talk to an ass, <laughs> and He's done it a bunch when I've been behaving like one. So, uh, you know. Anyway, that's kind of uh, an interesting. Well, I made a I made a career out of it, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I mean I think that is a uh, it's a every day that I get to do this, I am just extremely thankful that people. Will will listen and will read and will respond and will engage with the things that I'm wrestling with because you know they've you know sent stories or opened up to me and every time I get like a, a message on Instagram or you know an email from someone who said like hey this is what your work means to me yeah. I, I I no longer question at least for a moment am I supposed to be doing this like right, I, right. I know in that that I'm supposed to keep being the person who. Uh, tends to overshare or, or yeah, however yeah. you want to say it, but. Well, there's so yeah. few, there's so few who are uh, saying the things that you're saying uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and people need that in this social media culture, that the social media culture goes totally against them. I and you're supposed to put makeup on and make yourself look beautiful for every photograph. You're not supposed to share the real you. You're supposed to share the whatever, the, you and every now and then you come across someone who's really telling their heart and i don't know that i think it's more valuable today than maybe ever because the culture is just so against it uh one of the one of my favorite messages that i ever got kind of the, the way it began was um i know you don't have it all together <laughs> correct <laughs> i don't you get me you see me and i and i, and I, I don't want to and i i'm pretty sure i don't put this off as somebody who has it all together, I just have yeah, a yeah. And, and I and it comes this comes across to in your in your writing of, of I, I I don't know a lot of things, but I think I'm I might have an idea about this. Yeah, but well, even that I, even that I have some questions about. You know, I like uh, I like to look like a fool. 
I really, it's really, it's really fun because uh, I fought it for so long. You know, you know, as you're growing up, and you you don't want to look foolish, you don't want to look stupid, but there's power in being a fool. There's power in being ignorant and not and admitting and knowing that you're ignorant and saying, you know, this is I know, I know nothing, and I like. I like to be in that position truly and honestly because I learn things from other people, but also uh, it frees me up to say what I'm thinking and whether that resonates with anybody or not uh, is probably negligible in as much as at least I'm, I'm saying how I feel, knowing that how I feel could be completely wrong or knowing how, you know, knowing that what I'm saying could be completely off base, but if it's not, and it does resonate with so and so, you know. Maybe we can learn something from each other through this, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, and if it doesn't make any sense from them to them, you can just be like, "Well, I'm yeah, from Florida." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, I want to close out the podcast, and I usually don't play games, but I want to try something out with you because you're a writer. I want to give you like a a. a play a game called finish the sentence and if you want to guess how the game works you can but really i'm going to start a sentence and then i'm going to kind of let you finish it as you may all right okay sound good all right the first one is the perfect breakfast is from waffle house <laughs> that when i pulled up your your website for the first time it was there was i think that that blog for that day was like something about waffle house and I knew in that moment, I knew I was like, oh, this guy, this guy and I got a lot in common. I, I love, I tried to start a tradition with my wife that we would go to Waffle House, uh, like right around Christmas. So like the day before Christmas or like the 23rd, we got married around Christmas. So I was like, oh, we should go there on Christmas. And, uh, she's from Indiana. So she was like, no, nah, we're not doing that. <laughs> but, yeah. well, I, I, okay. So what's your, what do you get at Waffle House? Uh, well, we go there. We go there just about, it seems like four or five times a week, especially when we travel. We've been traveling a lot. And every, after every gig uh, that I do, you know, after the the night is over, uh, I'm exhausted. We always go to Waffle House because that's the only place open, really. Mm -hmm. That's also because I love it. So I always get the same thing lately. And it's changed, but lately for the last couple of years, it's, it's, I, I get two chicken melts <laughs> with bacon. Ooh. And I get my hash browns in a ring. Uh, with cheese, and then I get one over easy egg. But I eat it all. Oh yeah. Well, especially like after after doing events and doing shows, and you do a lot of different like events where you're in front of people. But afterwards, yeah. I have to like you kind of have to come down from this high. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You right? got decompress. And I'm I'm really thankful. Like I I get to people book me for events, but a lot of those are in the Midwest where there's not a Waffle House. Like, oh, I'm just hoping, yeah. yeah, I'm hoping people from the South start booking me more. Like, because like, I'll just book this guy. Yeah, I hope you like poetry and weird jokes. Uh, but it's, I, I man, I, I, there's nothing better. Like, Waffle House feels like home. Oh, yeah. It's the, you know, there's, and I think Waffle House just kind of brings people together, too. It's a beautiful I, thing. I like the the culture that it's, it's built around it. I like the way the companies run. I like the people I've met there. They work, they work so hard. You, you can't not work hard at Waffle House and get away with it. So they just, mm -hmm. they're so, such a beautiful, beautiful institution. The way they set it up, it doesn't fit 
in the modern culture right now. So I hope they're around forever because God knows they go against the grain. Yeah. And this, uh, this podcast is sponsored by Waffle House. That's, that's for sure. Okay. <laughs> my, my next finish this sentence is, here is what I know about heaven. Uh, I know that it's nothing like what you think it's going to be. Uh, I know that heaven is going to surprise a lot of people who think it's going to be one way and it ain't. That's where I think. Yep. But I do know it's, I knew there's going to be a waffle house there. I do know. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. My my personal belief on heaven is that, uh, is that there's going to be this moment where you wake up and you realize that you've been asleep for 70, 80 years or however long you were on earth and you were asleep. And now you're awake. And now this, this, this is different. This is different, but it's also the same, only better. That's, I, I think it's going to be astounding. Some people have got visions and ideas of where it's going to be. And I just have, I just have this strong belief that's going to be shocking to a lot of people. It's, They're going to uh, go, you, you got in? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think we're going to finally understand the, uh, the, the old line of, you know, everything is going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and just, I can, I can rest, I can rest in that and I can get behind that. Um, all right. My next one for you is, uh, when I wake up tomorrow, I'll do the same thing I did today. <laughs> uh, when I wake up tomorrow, I'll yeah, probably the same thing. I, I have a, I'm real routine oriented. I routine is king to me. So I wake up, I ride, ride all day long or whatever you know, project I'm working on or work on new material for the first upcoming show or something. And, you know, yeah, uh, That's awesome. currently I'm, I'm working on like, you know, books, but there's always other stuff going on. So that just, you know, you have to divide your day up or you, nothing gets done. So, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I had to learn early on as a writer is you, you, you really aren't just working on one thing. You are working on about 10 different, like, I mean, I have, I don't know how your computer is set up, but mine has, I have like 30 tabs open. Like I'm I'm writing about, I'm writing about this. Like I'm working on this book, but I'm, I also want to work on this book and I need to finish this for this part, you know, and it's, you're kind of all over the place, but that's how my mind, that's how my mind works. So it's, it's great. So I've got, I've always got a fiction book going and I've always got a nonfiction book going and I've always got, and then there's always a deadline and then I've got a daily column deadline. And then we have a we have a podcast that's been going for a long time. So that's always, you know, I'm always making executive decisions on that. And then we've got, a, you know, a meeting later to talk about producing mm-hmm. that, whatever. And then then I've got my live shows that I do. So then I've got, you know, you got to come up with new material for that. And uh, so then my shows are on music stuff, too. So uh, I've got to have new music. So it it's really and then I like to keep. My, I have to purge my brain every day at mm-hmm. about one thirty. I go out for a long walk because uh, mm-hmm. I or run. I have to. I have to have this moment where I'm not looking at a screen, where I'm not yeah. engaged in active creativity or whatever, where I'm just. <sighs> you know, and then I come yep. home. And then I go back to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, but I, it's it's that's the thing is like that's what it means to be dedicated, and. Well, and it's fun. It's fun. It, it's all fun for me right now. I and and I know that if you do it too much and the fun goes out of it, uh, 
there's danger there. But right now, I feel so privileged to be able to do it at all. And it, it is just, it is, I'm having the most fun I've ever had. And if I died tomorrow, I, I had a, you know, I had a lot of fun. And I, I think I can say, say that I've done enough things that really have gratified me in a selfish way uh, that I don't need to do anything else. I've, I've enjoyed my life. Yeah, and, and a lot of the things that you've done too, even even though I've only been like aware of you for the last few months, but the the work that you have done has made an impact as well. Like it just it hasn't just meant something to you; it's meant something to us. Um, well, I hope so. I you know uh, I don't have any kids, so this is my child. So uh, writing like I'm doing is uh, I realize a lot of this comes out of that void not having a child and you have a lot left to give uh, and that you're designed to give. And because I can't bestow it on any children, you know, this is uh, this is where it goes. Yeah. We don't have any, uh, any children either, at least, at least not yet. And, and I feel like with the, the work that I'm doing, like I, I'm give like I have all, maybe you feel the same way, but I have all this love, all this hope, all this yeah. like uh, that I want to give, like I need to put it somewhere. And I think I'm just like channeling all of that into the things that I share with the world or like the, the events that I put on or the, the poems that I write. Does that kind of resonate with you a little bit? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, the things I'm attracted to writing about and doing, like, you know, a few days ago, we went and uh, we watched uh, police officers buy toys for underprivileged children in Target. And then I'll, and if you, if, uh, next week I'll go and I'll watch all these kids gather in this Methodist church. And these are kids with nothing who live in the housing projects or worse, uh, or kids whose parents have been arrested or killed or whatever. Uh, and we'll, I'll get to watch them get these presents that these cops just because the cops didn't, you know, they weren't there. It was this is an official program. They just decided to buy these gifts for them. They do this every year. They're going to give it to these kids. I, derive so much pleasure from this and from writing about it, maybe more so than people with children would, because this is, this is my life writing about little events like this. They, they mean so much more to me, I think than they would mean to me if I were in, invested in, a, in my own family, because this is, this is my family. These kids are my family. This, this is what I spend my life doing right now. And I, when you uh, when you do live shows and you do a bunch of and I have one more finish the sentence but this isn't it but okay. when you do when you do these uh, live shows does it just kind of feel like a like a family gathering? That's what I want it to be. I want it all. I want it to be is fun. That's yeah. my only. It, I, early on when we started doing the shows, uh, I remember leaving a gig and I remember thinking, "What is it that I am doing? What?" What am I looking to gain out of this? What am I? What am I looking for other people to get out of this? What am I doing? Because I, I tell a lot of jokes. Uh, it's a lot of comedy. It's a lot of storytelling. There's a lot of music, but I'm not really enriching anybody's lives. You know, I'm not really like, you know. So I finally I came to this conclusion. I'll never forget. We were driving to Andalusia, Alabama, outside Andalusia in a forest, and I looked out the window, and I thought, I feel really good to. And I think that's the key. I think the key is what I want to do is make other people feel good. Even if it's only for a few minutes or an hour at a show, if I can, and God help me if I can or not, 
I just want them to feel good. If they can feel good for a short amount of time, that's that's all I want. Yeah, I I, I get that too. It's the because uh, people will be like you know they'll and maybe they do the worst. Like I'm gonna go see a a writer play music and tell stories. But, <laughs> yeah. Like I can't. Can I just stay at home? And it's like, and yeah, exactly. I, I, I have, to, I feel like I have to work just as hard too, because I'm like, I'm a poet who's going to tell stories, and I'm also going to try to make some jokes as well. Will you, will you please, will you please leave the couch for this? But the, the idea for those events is, it's kind of like what you were saying, and in, in, and in my thinking, it's like I want people to feel to leave more hopeful than when they walked in, like that, like yeah, it was, yeah. like it, it helped them. I don't want to say escape the real world because I don't think that's healthy. You know, in some ways, like to escape the things that they like, leave stuff at the front door, come in, and just kind of rest for a little while. Um, I agree. I, there's a line from *Chariots of Fire*, the movie *Chariots of Fire*, and the the runner is interviewed by the uh, newspaper reporter. He's like, "Why do you do this?" And he said, "I run because when I run, I feel God's pleasure." Hmm. And it's just a neat thing. I, I run, or I, I do this, you know, because I, when I do it, I feel his pleasure. And I feel mm-hmm. like maybe I can communicate some pleasure with other people. Yeah. That's it. I like that. All right. Last finish the sentence. I don't know much, but I know for certain that. That this is the best podcast in the world. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> uh, let's see a serious, a serious twist. Well, that was, I, that wasn't the serious answer. Oh, come on. <laughs> I would say, uh, I don't know much, but I know that uh, that I don't know much. <laughs> I accept that answer. That's a good yeah, one. That's so true, too. Yeah. No, I think that's really good. Um, well, that's that's really it. I really enjoyed hanging out and getting to know you. Um, the last the last thing that I have on my notes for this is uh, just to thank you. So. Once again, man, thank you so much for your work and for your writing. It is it has meant a lot to me. And I, and I will say this about uh, your book, "Will the Circle Be Unbroken?" I I buy, Sean, I buy a lot of books with the intent like to read the whole thing. And most of the books I buy, I get about halfway through, and I'm like, good, all right, I got it. And then like my mind will just drift off, and I'll start something new. But I I'll, I read I read your entire book. And I'm not fishing for, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you this to make you feel better about yourself. I hope it does though. But like I read it and I was like, that was like a, it was a really good book. So, it, cause it, and it was a good book for me. It, it just meant a lot to me. Like I felt like, I felt like I was hanging out with a, with a friend and with somebody who was like, oh, that, that just feels like one of my friends who's talking to me. So, um, I really appreciate your work and I appreciate your time. And, um, I'm hoping that we can get some Waffle House one day. Oh man, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's, I yeah. think we just say that we're going to do it. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Walk a Little Slower podcast. Thank you so much again for joining us on this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow along with Sean's work. Trust me, you'll want to. There's also a couple of links to his books, uh, especially the ones that were mentioned in this episode. As always, you can find me online at written to speak on Instagram or at written to speak.com. And if you would like to support this podcast in my ministry, go ahead and visit patreon.com slash written to speak to become a patron. Your monthly donation allows me to spread hope and announce love through written and spoken word, just like this podcast. All right, that'll do it for us. Thank you again for joining us and we will be back 
next week with another episode of the Walk a Little Slower podcast.